Welcome back to Case in Point. This is your host, Erin Worsham. And I'm excited about today's episode. It actually takes us in a little bit of a different direction from our previous episodes. We're going to talk about implicit bias. As background, our team here at Case has been spending time on on what I'll call a learning journey to think about how issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity play a role in our work. Because we know that many of the social and environmental challenges that communities and social entrepreneurs face are rooted in systems of oppression and inequity. Here in the United States, for example, deep issues of race, class, gender, citizenship make achieving lasting social change nearly impossible. And so our guest today, Darren Dodson, is someone who has been thinking deeply about how issues of implicit bias play a role in financial markets and in impact investing in particular. Now, implicit bias refers to the unconscious attitudes and stereotypes that we all hold and that affect our actions and decisions. And Darren has been watching those implicit biases play out in the $61 trillion asset management industry, where within that $61 trillion, only about 1% is controlled by funds led by women and people of color. And so he's doing something about it. He founded Illumin Capital, the world's first private equity firm focused on reducing implicit bias. And he also serves on the board of directors for Ben & Jerry's, an incredible platform to talk about the ways that public companies can create impact and challenge bias. We'll touch on all of those experiences in our conversation today. Uh, But mostly, I I think you'll hear that Darren is a passionate advocate of social and economic justice, especially for marginalized groups. His passion is contagious and his insights are truly fantastic. So join us for the conversation. Darren, we're so excited to have you here today and and back on campus. I know you're a, a Duke alum, so welcome back to Durham and to campus. It's great to be here. And uh, so excited to be able to have this conversation with you. I want to start by talking a little bit about your background. So have such an interesting impact career behind you. You uh, worked at one of our favorite local establishments, uh, Durham-based Self-Help Credit Union. I know you've worked with the Idea Village in New Orleans. You currently serve on the board of directors of Ben & Jerry's worked with Calvert Funds, and now you're the founder and managing director of Illumin Capital. So a lot of varied experience in the impact space, but clearly there's a theme of social and economic justice and and really using business and and finance as forces for good. So I just want to know what's what's the motivation there? Where did it all begin for you? Uh, What motivated you to do this work? Well, I really studied uh, civil rights leaders. Uh, op- opportunity to meet a number of them in 22 cities across the country. Hmm. And one of the things that I took away from those various different meetings was learning about the board versus Brown, about uh, Brown versus Board of Education, and the tremendous pre-work that would later uh, create monumental legislation that would help to impact generations, building diversity and inclusion in ways that would benefit society. And when Charles Hamilton Houston helped to establish the 
incredible work of Howard Law School. And a young Thurgood Marshall was in the front row of his class. Charles Hamilton Houston's vision really was to train a generation of leaders that would take on the biggest challenges from a legal perspective in the world. And inspired by that work, with a lot of the institutions that I've been involved with and the opportunity to build one in Illumin Capital, part of what our drive is is to create a platform for the leaders that will be trained in finance to take on the biggest issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion that face finance. And um, we do that through a capital-driven strategy of allocating capital, but uh, but that's the mission of the firm, is to prepare the groundwork for uh, creating stronger portfolios, stronger returns, and those people that will pioneer this area. That's fantastic. It's, it's a powerful story, and uh, I, I love some of the examples that you gave that have really driven your work and brought you to the point today of founding Lumen Capital, which is, which is doing fascinating work, and we're excited to see uh, where it goes. So, so let's talk a little bit about Illumin Capital. I would love to, to dig in a little bit more there. Um, clearly from what you were just talking about, uh, about the work that you're doing, implicit bias and diversity, equity, inclusion is a core part of, of the founding and the work that you're doing there. Can you start by explaining to our audience a little bit more about what you mean by implicit bias and, and how it really manifests in today's investment world? Looking at um, one of the lives of a hero of mine, Dr. Martin Luther King, and who, who this year were celebrating the 90th anniversary of his, uh, or commemorating the 90th anniversary uh, of his life in the 50th year since he was assassinated. When we look at the asset management business from the time that he was assassinated, indeed throughout his life, uh, and compare it to 50 years later, where we are today, part of what we see is that it's changed relatively little relative to women and people of color within the representation of ownership and leadership within the space. In fact, uh, just a little over 1% of the entire asset management business ownership is women and people of color. And that is documented well in a Knight Foundation report that came out through uh, a Harvard research team. So part of what the thesis of our firm is, is that looking at that number, we believe that there are a bunch of different barriers that prevent people from realizing the fullness of their potential and added value in the economy. And implicit bias is one of those central barriers. So investing in and educating managers to reduce bias is a strategy to unlock impact and returns within the impact investing space. Okay, fantastic. Uh, and I, I love that that sort of theory of change of investing in and educating the investors that are controlling large amounts of money. What, what's, what are the stats these days about the, the amount of money that's in the asset management business? Um, I think about $61 trillion is the uh, most recent uh, numbers and work mm -hmm. in that analysis of the 1%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to think just 1% just of that is, is controlled by, by funds led by women and people of color. Uh, really interesting to, to get that background. Um, 
tell us a little bit more about how a fund like Lumen Capital can address that bias other than, I mean, I think the natural thing that we often talk about in, in this field is making sure that you're being aware and investing in companies that are led by women or people of color, et cetera. That's sort of the easy answer. But tell me a little bit more about how you're, you're approaching changing that, uh, that equation. What else can a fund do besides just investing in, in organizations that are led by, by people of color? Mm -hmm. Well, much like the uh, great work that happens here in Research Triangle Park, uh, we're we're right in the middle of Silicon Valley, being in, based in Oakland. And part of what happens when building strategies within organizations is we begin by building the best team in the world. So part of what we did is partner with five of the leading professors in this area of implicit bias reduction um, and financial portfolio construction in order to develop methodologies to enable people to see the humanity of other people. And in seeing the humanity of other people that they're almost certainly overlooking because we can look at the data or any kind of um, statistical analysis and see there's underrepresentation. But what's harder to see is the processes that lead to that. So we examine those processes that have been effective in reducing bias across different systems, such as education or healthcare, well-intentioned doctors and teachers without re-examining their biases are often having not able to see the uh, and, and build strategies to realize the full potential of all students. So there are a number of different studies that outline that and outline processes that are led by uh, many of the people on our research team. And so you're taking that and applying it, not only identifying those, those implicit biases and educating the doctors and the educators, but now taking that to the fund manager level and doing that education there to, to change those, those conversations made at that, at that funding table. Yeah, and ultimately, as an impact investing-oriented firm, we're interested in sectors such as health-enabled technologies, education technologies, looking at financial um, innovations and inclusion, and also in sustainability. And when we look across these different sectors, there are huge biases that prevent the outperformance of firms and also the outperformance of impact within those firms. And so that's what we focus on as a firm. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Um, I was recently listening to Brian Stevenson's talk at the Skull World Forum this past year. And he was talking about uh, his work uh, trying to uh, work towards equity uh, and, and justice uh, here in the US legal system. Mm -hmm and talked a lot about the need for people that care and that want to make a difference to really get proximate of how do you get proximate to the problems you're trying to solve and to the, the people and the stakeholders that you're trying to work with to understand what they really need. And I know part of Illumin Capital's theory of change or activities are around what I think you call the impact experiences, which seems to me like your, your uh, attempt at helping fund managers get proximate. So can you talk a little bit more about what those impact experiences are? So you've got at Illumin, you have the, the research work you're undertaking, the, the education, and then, and then a little bit about this experience piece as well. Yes. 
Impact Experience is an incredible organization that builds proximate experiences for our investors, our fund managers, to communities that are challenged and different racially, sometimes gender-wise, or um, from lived experience of the managers and investors themselves. So it's very hard for someone to go through a process of changing the way they think about another person or a community of people without approximate experience. And of course, that is indeed uh, a, a, a tremendous learning and contribution from Brian Stevenson in, in, in our work. In fact, we brought a group down to Montgomery, Alabama just recently to the Equal Justice Initiative down there and had the opportunity to explore the uh, Legacy Memorial and Museum together and with a number of leaders of the foundations that are partners with Illumin Capital and ultra high net worth individuals that are part of our, our network as well and enter into a conversation with people from the community in Montgomery and take on some of the real issues and challenges of structural challenges within the investment field in that context, which was a, a powerful experience. So impact experiences happen twice a year in partnership with the Illumin Capital community. And we bring together through a specific methodology these proximate uh, community challenge solving groups of people that bridge together opportunities to learn from each other, but as, as well create material and real benefit for the communities in which we're going to. Mm. So those include communities such as post-Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, post-Hurricane um, Maria in Puerto Rico. Uh, we've done some work in Houston after the hurricane there as well and really builds from an experience that I had in working with a number of MBAs from Duke, Stanford, Cornell, and others in the context of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so powerful, and I love to hear you talk about the value that that's bringing to the investors and the fund managers, et cetera, that are participating, but also the, the value that is being provided to those communities in which they're engaging. So it is a, a two-way street, which I think is often a danger as we talk about getting proximate, that it sometimes feels very extractive uh, to those communities versus mm -hmm. that, that sort of two-way relationship. Um, give us another example. I'm curious, uh, Hurricane Katrina or, or other examples that you mentioned, uh, can you Talk us, talk us through a little bit more of what that looked like and, and how the community was, was benefited as a result. Sure. A lot of the work uh, from Impact Experience resonated from the original work that I did in New Orleans for three years in partnering with Jim Coulter, the founder of TPG, and his family to work with a local nonprofit there called Idea Village. Mm -hmm. And in that learning process of bringing a thousand MBA students and corporate leaders from around the world to New Orleans, the central question that we were attacking was how to build the most, the highest efficacy experiential learning program in the world. Because at that time, many experiential learning programs were great experiences for students. 
but they resulted in uh, minimal impact for mm-hmm. communities. Yeah. They were extractive, as I was, as I was saying. Mm-hmm. So part of the power of spending three years learning about what makes effective outcomes for communities was part of the inception of both impact experience and Illumin Capital. And part of what we learned is in the first year when we brought volunteers from around the country to New Orleans, without having some kind of implicit bias process that they would go through, which we tried in the first year because we didn't know that that was very important, the teams would actually explode and mm. blow up. Mm. <laughs> and Not they the wouldn't work. We were for, I yeah. <laughs> so in the second year, after we um, learned that, Uh, We did a series of context building um, and implicit bias insight driven processes with the students and outside volunteers that were leaders of different corporations for uh, six months prior to bringing them down to New Orleans. And that context really helped to create some tremendous outcomes for over, I think there were 900 entrepreneurs in the program, about 16 that were worked in on an annual basis with the volunteers and really created some companies, one that expanded uh, throughout the, uh, the United States and, and other parts of the world. But it was in that insight of the, the how important context around race and gender and uh, proximity mm-hmm. is within the process that some of these outcomes began to change. And of course, after that, then going to Calvert and having a chance over seven years to invest in fund managers from around the world and seeing the, you know, the, the space of impact. And we did a, a strong job at Calvert of selecting managers that were led by women and people of color. But when you look at where it would be by a normally distributed uh, model, which is one of the things that you know it's so revered within business schools, mm-hmm. it's still not enough to what we would expect would be represented in an optimal portfolio, mm-hmm. and that becomes one of the hearts of our thesis. And, and so, impact experience shares all of that learning. Another example of one is a community we work with in West Virginia. Dr. Dino Beckett is the CEO of the federally qualified health center called the Williamson Health and Wellness Center, headquartered in Williamson, West Virginia, with the southwestern West Virginia. Dr. Beckett serves a community that is 80% below the poverty line, but full of ingenuity once we got there and spent time with them and brought partners like some of the largest impact investing funds in the world and companies like Tesla to engage in conversation around people that are different sides of the coast, different sides of the political spectrum, different sides of the economic spectrum um, than they are. And one of the outcomes of that due to Dr. Beckett's leadership in that tremendous community in partnership with many others has been to build a Uh, extensions so that this health and wellness center is attacking wellness of people, yes, from a health perspective, but is one of the leading models in the country to attack it from a jobs perspective, too, Mm -hmm. and hiring 58 people and serving 24,000 people in the region. So it's just a tremendous bright spot 
in which we've been able and had the privilege of engaging as an organization and really bringing exciting companies that are part of our network to test out within that context. It's a fascinating examples. Thank you for sharing those. And, and I love the, the, the balance of in those examples. Some of it was about these real systems changes, as you were just talking about in the West Virginia example, but also at the personal level of, of changing individual mindsets and, and behaviors and building bridges across different uh, types of economic classes and race backgrounds and uh, you know somebody from Tesla coming to West Virginia and, and working with that community. So it's really powerful that, that you've been able to have those sort of outcomes that are both at the, mm -hmm. the personal mindset level as well as at the, the kind of systems transformation. And, and just to add on and be clear about that, it's the community themselves that le lead mm -hmm. the process. And we build on, you know, the amazing things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, and, and I love this idea of, of the community-based aspect of community-driven work that you're doing. Given that you've been working in, in a variety of roles in the impact investing space, I, I want to get you to just reflect broadly on, on the changes that you've seen as it relates to, relates to implicit bias and equity and all of these topics we've been discussing within impact investing. Um, what, what's your reflection on the, the changes that you've seen in impact investing? Are we getting better? Are we getting better fast enough? Are we figuring out how to make impact investing community-based and getting rid of bias and, you know, et cetera? Just love to have your kind of reflections on, on what you've seen, the, the progress in the impact investing field. I think for many of us that have spent time building this generation of the impact investing field, of which I've had many opportunities to learn from those that laid the foundation of the field, like Wayne Silby and, um, and others that I've had the pleasure of working with at, at Calvert. As I look at where we are right now as a field, I'm inspired by the deep questioning of whether or not impact also includes women and people of color. Mm. And I hear that question in different ways throughout the country and throughout the world. And I think the answer is that I, that I hear from many people is, is yes. And then the, the, the next question is how? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a big question. there's a little <laughs> irony because it always should have included women and people of mm -hmm. color, right? And to think we spend all this time and energy and resource developing a field that has the potential to become the future of finance in a way that creates balanced living systems throughout the world, balanced systems of uh, sustainability, balanced systems of education, without thinking about this critical aspect that includes more than half the world mm -hmm. is, a, is a, a challenge for our entire sector to take on. And I've been encouraged and excited to see the seriousness at which people are developing models to take on that challenge and blast within the vernacular of impact investing this really important overlooked element that includes the humanity of other people. Mm -hmm. So it's a, there's no better time and there's no better uh, opportunity for impact investing to really honor some of the aspects of that truth 
than to begin now to ask those critical, continue to ask those critical uh, questions. Mm-hmm. I love that you're you're an optimist and really seeing the trajectory of the field going in a positive direction, and also identifying that there are still gaps, and hence why you're you're founding Lumen Capital and hoping to take that work further faster. So so congratulations to you on that. Um, I'd love to shift gears a little bit. I know, as I mentioned at the beginning, you're also serving on the board of directors of Ben & Jerry's, uh, in addition to the work that you're doing with Illumin Capital. So would, would love to hear some of your reflections on, on that work. Uh, how, how do these same themes of, of implicit bias and economic justice, how do those work into your role uh, on, on the board at, at Ben & Jerry's? Is that a part of those conversations? So for me, it's a tremendous privilege to serve on the board of Ben and & Jerry's. And the company, I'm very proud of the journey that it's been on and continues to be on in terms of social justice and creating ways to learn about the implicit bias and then act on those ways. One of the things that I'm really proud of at the company level is that we invited in a team of activists from around the country and researchers that specialize in racial equity to educate our team and staff and be highly critical mm. of the company's uh, current way of thinking in order to inform us about the things that we could do to best improve. And that's been about a, a two-year journey but to give you a sense of how seriously um, and important we think it is to executing the mission of the country, the company, that's one aspect that I'm really excited about. We also have taken uh, our own learning journeys to different communities within criminal justice systems, mm-hmm. within meeting with uh, leaders of which I was really excited to participate in, like John Lewis, and asking him how can we participate as a company in the movements that you've lived your life dedicated mm-hmm. to and the barriers wow. that you've spent your life knocking down and learning from luminaries like John Lewis? Mm-hmm. So we are not finished. We have plenty of work to do, but there is uh, an intention and a powerful relationship in which the board is able to really prioritize our journey around social justice and around impact within our communities at community levels, around looking at ways to partner with activists, with them leading, again, mm-hmm. uh, and, and provide support or ice cream or abilities to march with them uh, in, in the incredible work that they're doing in communities all around the country. Mm-hmm. I think that this is also important to say that the chair of our board is a woman of color, Adorana Mittal, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the people that I have the pleasure of serving on the board with that is incredibly inspiring in terms of a leader of, of the board, and that some of that is a result of the journey that our firm has gone on and continues to go on, on our understanding of the way the world is continuing to be shaped and the way that our company needs to meet the future challenges of business and society in order to be successful. 
it's powerful to, to think about a, a company such as Ben & Jerry's that, that we all think of as so progressive on, on these issues, but needing to take the time to do the education, to build the awareness within the board, within the, within the teams, um, and then to you know, get to the community level and, and follow the lead there, uh, follow the lead from the community members is, is a powerful statement coming from, like I said, from an organization like Ben & Jerry's. What, what other advice would you give to, you know, many, many of those in our audience are uh, running or leading social ventures all over the world, mission-driven companies, et cetera. Do you have advice from your Ben & Jerry's experience that, that you would want to share with them about how they can go on this, this journey themselves, how they could educate themselves about how implicit bias might be playing in their, in their businesses and, and how to change that? I think one of the things about Ben & Jerry's that has been inspiring to me as well is Ben & Jerry, when they first created the company, created also a, a three-part mission, which includes an economic, social, and quality mission, in which the board of directors governs and enforces throughout the, uh, the, the framework of the 35 countries in which we do business and measures the social impact in each of these countries. So I would say begin with the end in mind uh, and, and think about your statement of, of values uh, with, within the context of something that is communicable, like the three-part mission, for example, that everyone within the entire firm can buy into. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we're still on our journey, but I think that if you I'm sure that when we walk into the factories at Ben & Jerry's and the people that make the ice cream that this business would not exist without, mm -hmm. when we have conversations and meetings with the leaders of the factory and those that are working the lines, what we find is that, that they're also there because they're inspired by the three-part mission. Mm -hmm and that they're involved in their respective communities in ways that creates meaning beyond just work within the context of the company and helps to create an entire business that's unlocking its full potential because the meaning is driving rather than simply the, uh, the, the work of, of making the product. So that's one of the, as important as that is, and making the product really well is really important, but having this added um, element of taking on challenges in society and learning from activists and learning across cultures is something that is a, is a value of the company. I would say that's something to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. The conversation we had earlier about proximity mm -hmm. Uh, before we start to invest and change communities, let's go in and learn from the people uh, about what they think the real challenges are so that we're informed and have calibrated the solutions, um, not only calibrated them, but really based them in the logic and the thinking of the community itself. Mm -hmm incredibly powerful advice that, that I'm excited for our audience to hear and, and hopefully act on in their own organizations. As always on the Case in Point podcast, we like to end with a, a couple of quick lightning round questions. So let me keep you on the hot seat for just a minute, Darren. Yeah. Um, and I wanna ask you, what is your superpower? So my superpower is listening. Mm -hmm. I could tell. That's true from all the examples you gave. 
I would also say, being a, a visionary and an optimist, I'm going to add those to your to your superpower <laughs> list. I know you have many superpowers. <laughs> um, all right, let me ask let me ask another one. What uh, what book has um, influenced you the most in life? There is a book called Head and Heart by Howard Thurman that has been a tremendous inspiration. And there are so many different reasons why Howard Thurman himself, as Martin Luther King's mentor, uh, helped to pave the way for the work that not only King did, but some of the work that we aspire to do within the world. And one of the most powerful things about Howard Thurman which many of his students, including Dr. King, would later say about him, and that he talks about a lot in this book, is one of the, the few mystics that talks about how much he has to learn by asking critical questions, mm -hmm. rather than delivering dogma uh, or from a particular perspective. So I think people are often inspired by the thoughtfulness and the deep-seated seeds that these questions la later lead to within the hearts and minds of people. Yes. But isn't that ironic that you have uh, this prominent intellectual that is known within uh, an academy of different peers that are focused on sharing specifically and prescribing solutions, mm -hmm. whereas this breath of fresh air in the early 1920s, 30s, and 40s came and asked these really interesting questions. One of the last things that I'll share about Howard Thurman is that even though he did a number of things throughout the civil rights movement, one of the things that he provided was a place for people to go when they hit a wall they could seek refuge in Howard Thurman's office and, again, seek refuge within his questions rather than his accusations about how they should be or what they should do. Um, so there's something really special about him uh, in, in the work that I do. And that book, Head and Heart, is his autobiography about the life that led him to be that way. That's, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And I think important lessons for all of us about you know, learning by, by listening and asking critical questions that uh, we can all apply to our, our lives and our careers. So Darren, I just wanted to thank you again for, for being here with us today. It's been a fascinating conversation and I'm excited to continue to learn more from you and follow the work of Illumin Capital as, as you go and, and do amazing things. Well, thanks, Aaron. It's wonderful to be here. We all have implicit biases, and when you combine those biases with a lack of representation, as Darren talked about, that can lead to real structural inequities. And as Darren mentioned, if we don't examine those biases, we'll leave impact and returns on the table. I'm excited to follow Darren and Illumin Capital as they work to reduce fund manager bias through research, training, and getting investors more proximate to the problems and communities that they are investing in. I also really enjoy Darren's reflections on his work with Ben & Jerry's. It's interesting because I think of Ben & Jerry's as such a forward-thinking, progressive company, but it was great to hear him talk about how they still realize they have lots to learn in this space, 
And so they're going through trainings and listening to activists and communities to determine how best to follow and support, not to necessarily lead. At the end of the conversation, I came away thinking that there are so many barriers that we have to overcome and challenges that we have to face head on. But I love Darren's optimism. He sees the potential of business and impact investing to truly solve society's most pressing problems at scale. Thanks again for joining us on Case in Point. And don't forget, review us wherever you listen to your podcast and help us spread the word 